This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Genesis chapter 29, uh, reading from verse 13. This is the Amplified Translation. And this is how the story reads. It says, when Laban heard of the arrival of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him to his house. And, and then Jacob told Laban these things. He says, surely you are my bone and my flesh. Jacob stayed with him a month. And then Laban said to Jacob, just because you are my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17. Let's. Let's pay close attention to verse 17. It says, Leah's eyes were weak and dull looking. Now, we're going to stop right there because maybe, just maybe, you missed out on what the Bible was trying to point out to us in that moment, okay? This is the Bible's way of letting us know that Leah was not the prettiest of girls. It says that her eyes were weak and dull looking. In other words, if you stared at this girl for too long, your eyes will become weak and dull looking. Uh, it's, it's, it's the Bible's way of saying she, she wasn't a pretty girl. Now, right about now, I can feel all the women staring at me with a gaze of death uh, because you're most likely offended by this, which you can't be offended by this for two reasons why you can't be offended by this. One, it's in the Bible, okay? If you're going to be mad at anyone, be mad at God. He put it there. Fair? Two, it's the Old Testament. We all know that ugliness was abolished at the cross. You're all beautiful people. You have nothing to worry about. Can I get an amen? Oh, that you respond to. Like, like, okay, she's ugly, but not me. Amen. It says that Leah's eyes were weak and dull looking, but Rachel was beautiful and attractive. This is, this is what you call a contrast, okay? So you got Leah, not so pretty. Rachel, very pretty, okay? Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than another man. He says, stay and live with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Come on, that's a good place to say, aw. Yeah, that was a good aw. It says, finally, finally, Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. For my time is completed so that I may take her to me. Now, I just want to pause right there. If you are a single male in the room, do not take your cue from Jacob, okay? This is not the way to approach your future father-in-law. I have a daughter. Allow some joker to approach me like that. Give me my wife for my time is completed. I will cut you. I'm not that saved, okay? Queens, New York. Give me my wife. I'll give you my gun. That's what I will give you. It goes on to say in verse 22, Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast with drinking. But then night came and he took Leah, not Rachel, Leah, weak-eyed one. He took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob who had intercourse with her. And Laban gave Zilpha his maid to his daughter Leah to be her maid. Verse 25, but in the morning, Jacob saw his wife and behold, it was Leah. Uh, you know how the Bible says joy cometh in the morning? 
Not for this guy, okay? He says to Laban, he says, what is this you've done to me? Did I not work all those seven years? Seven represents completion. Did I not complete my time working for you for, for Rachel? Why then have you deceived and cheated and thrown me down like this? I want to take the next few moments. I want to dare to take a, a bit of a different view of this story, a perspective that, that I really believe that if we were to look just a little bit deeper, there we would find the beauty of, of the gospel. And hopefully and ultimately, I pray that by the time we're done, when I'm done preaching in the next two hours, <laughs> we'll have a different understanding, a better understanding, not only on how we see God, but on how God sees us. I want to preach to you from this idea, a beautiful disaster. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot that down. A beautiful disaster. If you're not taking notes, take notes. A beautiful disaster. Pray with me one more time. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Do only what you could do. We want to learn more of you feel you and receive you in a new and greater way. And we promise, we promise, God, the moment we're done, we will give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name, Zoe Church says, Amen. come on, we say, Amen. 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 I know some of us uh, are just starting to get to meet each other for the first time, and, and that's okay. So I just figured I'd tell you a little bit about me. I am a, a church kid, okay? I've grown up in church my entire life. My parents are my pastors. They have been pastors for as long as I've been breathing. And I've grown up in church. It did not matter the age or the day. My entire life, I was in church. I could have been seven years old. I was in church on a Monday for marriage ministry. Tuesday, single ministry. Wednesday, midweek prayer. Thursday, bereavement. Friday, the golden age, a.k.a. senior citizen ministry. I was always in church all the time. It did not matter what was going on or what was happening. Do we have any church kids in the room? Ch church kids. And here's what I've learned about church kids like, like you and I. We're really easy to spot outside the room. It's, it's the truth. It's, it's not necessarily how we dress. It's not how we look. It's how we talk. Okay, we say things that no other tweens would ever say. We, we, we use terms, we use vernacular that no other kids our age would ever use. For instance, let's say we're going to the movies with our friends, our, our worldly friends. Everyone's talking about what they saw in the coming attraction. Man, I can't wait to see the car chase. I can't wait to see the pretty girl. I can't wait to see the big fight at the end. We're the only ones asking, what's this rated? Is there a lot of cursing in this movie? Is it focused on the family approved? Is it going to grieve my spirit? Like what other 11-year-old do you know says things like grieve my spirit? Church kids. Because we had to worry about someone in that theater that no one else in that theater had to worry about. The Holy Spirit. And him telling our parents. True story. I, I remember staying over at a friend's house who who lived in Brooklyn. Now, I grew up in Queens, so it just lets you know that our, our homes were miles apart. But because it is a small world after all, after all I'm not going to use his real name, so let's just refer to my friend as Satan, okay? 
one night I stood over Satan's house. And we're hanging out, doing things that guys normally do at a sleepover. We're, we're eating pizza, we're watching Sports Center, we're lying about girls, we're not taking showers. Like, this is what we do at a, at a sleepover. If you ever wondered, it's, it's not much. It's, it's actually pretty sad and stinky. At about 3 a.m., my, my friend, Lucifer, <laughs> decides to take out a dirty magazine. I know. Because in that moment, as he's pulling the magazine out of that thin brown paper bag, every sermon that I've ever heard on sexual immorality is now reverberating through my mind. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I have to get out of here. I can't stay here and tolerate this smut. But at the same time, I'm very aware that I'm a chubby white boy with a bowl haircut in the middle of the ghetto, which means if I leave, I'm going to die. Which is now kind of cool because now I'm starting to feel like a martyr. You know what I mean? Like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be the first martyr of the Durso household. And I'm starting to get my speech ready because all good martyrs have a good speech. You know, like I'm starting to feel like Stephen, like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or, or Esther, like, if I perish, then I perish. <laughs> well, just then as I'm about to make a dash out the door, the phone rings. Beelzebub picks up the phone. pauses for a few seconds, turns to me and goes, Chris, it's your mom. It's 3 a.m. A true story. It's who? It's your mom. <laughs> hey, mom. How you doing? We were just praying. What's going on? <laughs> she says, so was I. Tell your friend to put down the magazine. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go nowhere. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you know how that will mess with a kid? That will screw you up. Oh, my goodness. As a result of that, as a result of that, I became the expert frisker, okay? Like, I would stop and frisk anyone and everyone that I was about to hang out with or could possibly hang out with. Because, God forbid, you had something on you that would now get me grounded indefinitely. Like, I just never wanted to be caught at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know that feeling? Like, do I belong here? And should I be here? And I don't... I'm not sure. The fact is, there are some of you now that I could identify with those exact feelings. See? For you, it's the, it's the right place because it's, man, it's a church and the singing is good and the people are kind. But, but for you, it's, it's feeling like the wrong time. It's the wrong time because it's too close in time to the last time you you messed up. It's, it's too close in time to the last time that, that you did that thing that you regretted doing. It's too close in time to, to that time that you did that one thing that you promised you would never do again. And now you're trying to figure out, as opposed to enjoying this service, you're trying to figure out, am I allowed to be here? Does God want me to be here? Does he accept me being here? How, how, how deep am I allowed to get in on this? Like, am I allowed to give in the offering? Can I lift up my hands and worship? Is this acceptable? I'm not sure if I'm ready for the whole outstretch outhand thing like can I do that because you have this perception 
that God looks at you in a certain manner, in a certain way. But, but friend, if that's how you see God, then you're not seeing our God. Because we don't serve an angry God. We don't serve a mean God. We don't serve a frustrated God. God is not in heaven right now sitting on his throne with the iron scepter in his hand judging you or annoyed that you're here. In fact, it's the complete opposite. We serve a God that loves you. We serve a God that cares for you. We serve a God that rejoices over you. If you have wondered if God is mad at you, I came all the way from New York City to let you know on this last day of 2017 that your God is not mad at you, but he is mad about you he's madly in love with you and when he looks at you he looks at you with eyes of love when he sees you he sees you as his child he sees you as his son he sees you as his daughter he doesn't see you by your mistake he doesn't see you by your mess up he doesn't see you by your flaws he doesn't see you by your blemishes why because God does not see you the way that you see you he sees you with eyes of grace he sees you with eyes of mercy he sees you with eyes of love and I've just been feeling all morning that there's, there's somebody in the room, there's somebody here that at one point you were, you were doing everything right. You were coming to church, it was good, you were, you were feeling great about everything, you had friends, you were in small groups, you're tithing, you're worshiping, but then something happened between now and then, somewhere in between, you made some kind of mistake, some kind of poor choice, and now you're trying to figure out if, if you're allowed to engage anymore. Am I allowed to be happy again? Those things that me and God spoke about, those, those plans that he had to prosper me and not to harm me, like, do those plans still count? Does he, does he still want to use me? Does he, does he still want to give me all those things? And the fact of the matter is yes, 100% yes. Why? Because even when you don't do what God wants, you are still the one that God wants. Friends, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is, this is the beauty of the cross. This is the beauty of the grace of God. Now for the one that's wondering, so wait a minute, Chris, are you saying that I can just live however I want and show up in church and everything is all good and everything is all okay? In no way am I suggesting to you that the grace of God is the license to sin. But what I am saying emphatically, that the grace of God is the license to be free, for forgiven each and every time you do sin. He wants you to know that you are forgiven and you could be free. There's this beautiful verse in Romans. It says, it says, no, God has not rejected and disowned his people whose destiny he had marked out and pointed and foreknown from the beginning. Romans 11:2. it says, God has not rejected and disowned his people who, whose destiny. Do you know that each and every one of you have a destiny? Each and every one of you have a purpose on your life. Each and every one of you have favor on your life. If you're trying to figure out, is that me? Understand that that is you because each and every one of you were knitted together in your mother's womb. You were put together piece by piece. You were put in such a way that God has created you for a purpose. He says you are people of destiny. And because you are people of destiny, I will not reject you and I will not disown you. However, here's what I do have for you. I have a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. I have a hope and a future for you. And guess what? There's that word. It says foreknown. He foreknew everything in advance. He was aware of every mistake you would ever make before you were aware that you could possibly commit it. And guess what? He still purposed you. 
He was aware of every sin you would ever commit, and he still gave you a plan. He still gave you a purpose. There are some of us that we may mess up more worse, far worse than we have ever in the past, maybe in our future. But guess what? Even when you mess up, you could get back up, and you could keep on going, and you could keep on living. Why? Because that is the God that we serve. Friend, you have to understand that you were destined before you were born and will not be dismissed because of a bad decision. You were destined before you were born and will not be dismissed because of a bad decision. There's someone in the room, and I didn't say this in the last service, but you have a call of ministry on your life. You know that you're called to be a pastor. You know you're called to be a worship leader, and you're trying to figure out, God, could I still do that after I made that mistake in that relationship, after I got involved and I did that thing? And God is saying, yes, yes, yes. In fact, it was for you that I wanted you to get this message this morning. Stop wasting the time and accept, accept everything it is that he accomplished by way of the cross. I have two beautiful children. I'm happily married now for 12 years. I have a 10-year-old son named Dylan, a 7-year-old daughter named Chloe. And Dylan is a man of God. He tells me all the time that he wants to travel the world and, and preach the gospel. And Chloe is just recently saved. <laughs> But a couple nights ago, I was putting the kids to bed. And Dylan, you know, because he's 10, he gets a little bit frustrated when he has to go to bed at the same time as his seven-year-old sister. So he says, Dad, can I just stay up a little while longer and watch one more show? But I said, no, son, it's time to go to bed. And the truth is, I could have allowed him to stay up. But if, if I would have allowed him to stay up, then that means I would have had to stay up. And I was really tired. So I said, no, son, I love you. It's time to go to bed. I gave him a kiss on the forehead, turned off the television, turned off the light, and I went to bed myself, only to wake up a few hours later to the sound of the television coming from Dylan's room. I walk on over to his room, and there before me is my baby boy, laid out on his bed with no shirt on and his hands behind his head like a boss, okay? <laughs> this kid had the air conditioning on and the fan on, like he pays bills. I walked in the room and I said, Dylan, what are you doing? I thought I told you to go to sleep. Well, immediately, he rolls out the bed, he falls on the floor, he gets on his knees, and he goes, Father, forgiveth me. Do not cast it me out of your presence. I got so frustrated. I said, Dylan, stop speaking King James. Immediately, immediately, I picked him up. I kissed him on the forehead. I said, son, I love you, I forgive you, but it's time to go to bed. Now, what was amazing is that seconds ago, he was, he was crying. Like, not just a little bit crying, like, like for real crying, okay? I, I don't know why this is my crying stance, but it is. He was, he, he was crying. It was like 90s R&B, baby come back to me, end of the road, water runs dry, on bended knee, crying. And yet, the moment... I say I forgive you, the tears were gone. Like, they weren't just gone, but like his face was dry and he's smiling. Now, if you're a parent, you could attest to this. We don't like that. <laughs> we need a little bit of time and separation between your sorry and your smile. Like, it's, I, I need to know that you, that you revere me and respect me and fear me. You know what I mean? Like, 
Like, you're not going to just smile after you say you're sorry. It's, it's kind of like the whole eating and going in the pool thing. Like, you got to give it a break. You know what I mean? But the fact is, Dylan as a child has a better understanding of grace, mercy, and forgiveness than most Christians I know. He understands that at the moment he says he's sorry, that at the moment he apologizes, there's no need for him to cry. There's no need for him to be sad. There's no need for him to walk around downcast. And there are so many of you, you have moseyed on through this year for a sin, for a mistake that you've already repented for, for a mistake that you've already apologized for, because you're trying to figure out what else could I do to make sure that God would forgive me. Well, here's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter if it happened at an altar call or if it happened in your closet. It doesn't matter if it happened in your bathroom, a car ride, or a train ride. The moment you said you were sorry, you were forgiven. It could have been in a conference, or you could have been by yourself. The moment you called out on the name of Jesus, he was present with you, and he forgave you. And there's someone in this room that the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention and is saying to you, you are not going into 2018 the same way you went through 2017 because you're going to call yourself a Christian, but you're going to walk around sad and downcast. That is not a good representation of our God and our church. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're to be strong in what we believe in. We're to be strong as we move forward. Then God says to receive the joy that I so easily give you by way of the cross. Is there anybody in the room grateful for the cross of Jesus? He says be joyous today. You're forgiven. I know you made a mistake. I know you messed up. But understand, you are forgiven. I pray your 2018 is like Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. I'm going to say that again. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's the grace of God right there. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He says, son, daughter, you are forgiven. And because you are forgiven, your sin has been forgotten. If God forgets about our sin, who are we to remind ourselves of our sin? If God forgives us of our sin and forgets, us, forgets about our sins, who are we to remind others of their sin? Remind others of their mistakes. You know what's so impressive about this verse to me? It's not only what it says, but when it says it. This is in the Old Testament. And yet it's one of the greatest descriptions of the grace of God. And yet so many people say that grace is a New Testament idea when I believe with all my heart that grace has always been God's idea. From old to new, from Genesis to Revelation. What's even more impressive is the man who wrote this verse, David. You ever read about David? I know he's famous for killing a giant, but David had a whole lot of giants in his life that got the best of him time and time again. He, he was a bad father. He was a bad king. He was the kind of king that when his troops went out to war, he stood behind so that he could sleep with one of the wives of one of the men that was fighting in that battle that he was supposed to be in. And then after he gets her pregnant, he goes on and kills that man just to cover his mistake. He's the kind of dad that when his own son rapes his own daughter, he does nothing about it. And yet this is the man that writes that verse. It's amazing to me. Because when you say the name David, you almost have to say the name Saul. And David is known as this, this epic hero and and, and Saul is known as this infamous villain, but, but yet if I were to take out the two resumes of sin 
between the two and compare it, whose resume of sin would be longer? I mean, what did Saul do? He had, he had pride. He had, he had arrogance. But, but he didn't commit half the things that David did. And yet David gets this kind of understanding. So wait a minute, Chris. Are you suggesting to me that David was, was as low as Saul? No. I'm saying he was lower than Saul. That was the difference between the two. He never had a problem getting low before God and apologizing. He never had a problem getting low before God and humbling himself and apologizing. I mean, when you think about it, it almost doesn't make sense. But that's the grace of God, isn't it? What's one of David's nicknames? A man after God's own heart. For real? For real. Like, I can think of some nicknames for David. It's definitely not a man after God's own heart. Let's take it a step further. What's, what was one of Jesus' nicknames? Son of David? Son of David. God, why is it that every time we say David's name, we say your name? And every time we say your name, we're, we're saying David's name. I mean, after everything it is that he's done and all the, all the sins and all the mistakes that he made, every time we say him, we're saying you. Aren't you embarrassed of him? And that's the whole thing. He's not. He has no problem identifying himself with even the worst of sinners, with even the greatest of hypocrites, with even those that would make the greatest mistakes. Friends, this is the grace and the beauty of our God. There's a story in the New Testament about a man named Zacchaeus. I love this story. I'm not sure why I love it so much. Maybe it's because the Bible says Zacchaeus is short and I can identify. <laughs> but Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And if you know anything about tax collectors, they, they were known for overtaxing people on the land that they lived in. And the government would turn a blind eye so that they can keep that money for themselves. Well... Zacchaeus hears that one day Jesus is going to be teaching in his town. And because he wanted to learn about him, he, he goes to where Jesus is going to be teaching. He climbs the tree so that he could just watch him at a distance. Well, before Jesus starts to teach, he walks up to the tree where Zacchaeus is and he, he calls out his name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I want to come over to your house for dinner. You know, the Bible doesn't describe to us what that dinner party looked like. But can you imagine like, just imagine the discomfort of Zacchaeus as he sits there across the dinner table. And who else does he invite to this party? I mean, birds of a feather flock together, right? Like, like all his friends are probably just as bad as he is. And he's, he's probably concerned that they're going to say something inappropriate in front of Jesus. Why is he here? Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know that I steal? Doesn't he know that I'm a thief? Doesn't he know that I'm a robber? But then I can imagine Jesus listening in on the thoughts of Zacchaeus. Because he could do that, you know. Zacchaeus, you don't think I know who you are? You don't think I know that you steal for a living and that you rob people unjustly? I know. But the fact of the matter is, you're actually a petty crook. You're a small-time robber. You're not even that good. In fact, if you really wanted to learn how to rob someone, you would watch me. Because I'm about to pull off the greatest heist in history. I'm about to rob death of its sting. I'm about to rob the grave of me. I'm about to rob all humanity of their shame and sin, past, present, and future. Oh, Zacchaeus, if you really wanted to learn how to rob someone, you would watch me and I'll show you. I'll show you what I'll do. In fact, Zacchaeus, you don't need to climb a tree to watch me from a distance because I'm about to climb a tree myself that's going to destroy this divide. 
Notice he invited himself over for dinner. He wasn't invited. He comes even to the one that doesn't invite him. And you're worried that if your sin is going to repel him, repel him. You're the reason why he showed up. You can't repel him. You've been, he's been compelled by you. He showed up on this earth for each and every one of us. For the Zacchaeuses, for the Davids, for the Sauls, for all the mess ups, for all those that make mistakes. This is why all you have to do is receive. Yeah, but I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I understand that. It doesn't make sense. I mean, the grace of God, you're telling me all I have to do is confess with my mouth and believe in my heart and I'm saved? Yeah, right. Sounds too good to be true. Mom always said, if it sounds too good to be true, then it must be. But yet, this is what makes it the good news. It's, it's true. There's so many of you here. You hear messages like this, and you hear about this grace, but, but you're not buying it. And you've been going to church for a long time. You've, you've been serving. You've been on Dream Team. You, you lift up your hands. You invite people. But, but yet you feel like all you're doing is showing God that, that you're good now. And you're trying to make up and like you're trying to pay some debt. But friends, if you're trying to pay this debt, then you don't realize how powerful the cross actually is. Because you don't have to work for the grace of God. Because the cross, it worked the grace of God. It ignited the grace of God. But it takes one to no one. This is how I grew up. I grew up thinking this and believing this. And, and yet I never heard it preached from a pulpit. I never read it in a book. And yet there was something innate, something on the inside of me that said, yeah, right. And I will read the same story that I read to you earlier. The one about Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And I would read about how at the end, Jacob was tricked. And I would say, God, I don't, I don't want to complete my time. I don't, I don't want to finish up my time on this earth working for you. And then I get tricked in the end. But to suggest that I'm Jacob would then suggest that God is who? Laban? Since when does God ever overpromise and then underdeliver? Friends, I realized that in reading this story, even though I was supposed to be reading this story, I was identifying myself with the wrong character. I realized that I'm not Jacob. I'm the other one. I'm the one with the weak eyes. I'm the one that's hard to look at. I'm the, I'm the one that nobody else wants. I'm the one that everybody else would pass up on. Friends, I realized that I'm Leah. But although I'm Leah, he looks at me like I'm Rachel. Although I'm ugly, he says that I'm beautiful. Although I'm weak, he says that I'm strong. Even though I make mistake after mistake after mistake, he says that I'm more than a conqueror. Friends, this makes no sense, but this is the grace of God. It doesn't make any sense because who could understand the mind of God? You don't need to fully understand it. You just need to fully receive it. And here's what the word says. Here's what the truth is. The truth is this. Nothing in all this world can separate us from God. Nothing, no mistake, no mess up, no flaw. The Bible puts it this way. Neither height nor depth, neither angel nor demon, neither past nor present, nor anything else can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by the message. 
To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.